Really great to have you in the house. And we're going to continue with part four of a series that we've been speaking through uh, from the book of Ephesians, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Um, uh, we've got one more part to the series next Sunday, uh, and next Sunday we're going to be doing some baptisms as well. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, for those of you who've perhaps not seen a baptism here at BCC, we open up a section of the, uh, of the platform down here, uh, and it, we fill it with water and we baptize people. So that's going to be a fantastic event. You won't want to miss that. Uh, and our baptismal candidates are getting ready even now with their testimonies and their, uh, the, the recording their videos and so on. So we're kind of excited about that. Uh, really, really looking forward to that. I want to open with a little bit of a story uh, this morning to share with you. Um, uh, this kind of goes back a little bit in my own history. Um, I, I uh, spent quite a lot of my youth, uh, or growing up as a kid, around the town of Tunbridge Wells in Kent. Uh, it's like a town uh, down there. And uh, in Tunbridge Wells, there is a steep hill, kind of goes up like this, called Mount Pleasant. And at the top, on the left of the junction where it comes out to the top, um, there's kind of like a, a junction there, and there's a cinema on the corner. And on the corner of the cinema, the way they used to do the cinemas where they'd put like a white kind of big uh, kind of balcony sign around uh, on the front of the cinema, and um, uh, it matched the kind of curve of the junction. And what they would do is they would put in little black capital letters, they would put the name of the film or the films that they were showing in the cinema up on that white screen. Uh, and sometimes, if you were lucky, you could see the man with the ladder changing the, the, the sign over to the next film. You know, it's pretty rare if you saw that, but sometimes you'd see that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, uh, my family and I, we lived in a housing estate in a village that was about 13 miles away from Tunbridge Wells. And, uh, you know, I would uh, sometimes go in to see my nan and granddad in, in the town, and we would see the sign, and we'd see what's on at the cinema. So anyway... Uh, my friend Stuart, who lived round the corner from me uh, on this housing estate, one day in spring 1978, okay, so we're going back quite a long way, he came to me, we were just kind of playing in the street one day, and he said, Nick, there's a film that you have to go and see. It's an awesome, awesome film. It's the best film I have ever seen. You need to go and see it. So I said, well, Stuart, what is it? And he said it's called Star Wars. And it's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, that sounds great. And then, sure enough, not long after that, in the primary school playground, lots of stuff started happening. Okay, so they started to talk about Star Wars in the playground. They started to say things like, so one kid said there's this kind of tall guy, and he's dressed all in black, and he's got a really serious breathing problem. And uh, he's called Daft Invader. And then another kid said, no, no, no. This other kid rebuked him and said, no, you've got that wrong. It's called Darth Vader. And, and there was like a lot of chat about Darth Vader. And then there was this chat about some, somebody called Chewbacca who was something called a Wookiee. And I'd never heard of a Wookiee. I mean, who'd heard of a Wookiee? Nobody knew what a Wookiee was, but there was a lot of chat about that. And then there was like sounds in the playground that later I worked out to be impressions of lightsabers uh, being wielded around. And some of my classmates even tried this thing. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I now know it was an old Jedi mind trick where they tried to kind of pass their hand in front of the teacher. And they say, you do not need homework this weekend. 
And the teacher kind of got very quickly wise to this and said, no, you do need homework this weekend. Uh, so the whole Star Wars craze really kind of took off. So I begged and begged and begged my parents to take me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it showed pretty much all summer. So in the early summer, my parents eventually relented and they booked to take me. And so I queued on Mount Pleasant Hill with my parents as a 10-year-old boy, jiffling around full of... I mean, I was bursting with excitement. I could not wait to see this film. I could not wait for them to open the doors. I could not wait for them to do the tickets. I was just in my seat like a shot. I couldn't wait. And it did not disappoint. When I watched the film, I came outside so amazed that a film could be that good. And I was just like, whoa, that really was the best film I've ever seen. And I spent the rest of the summer with my mates, and several summers after that, kind of playing out different games in which we all competed to be Luke Skywalker, of course, because he's the hero, isn't he? And so we had this incredible summer and this incredible time of kind of drinking in this wonderful thing uh, of the cultural phenomenon that it's become called Star Wars. Now, you may know, uh, very famously, there's an actor called Alec Guinness, and he plays a character in Star Wars called Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, there's a key scene in the film uh, where he talks about something called the Force. He explains it like this. He says... The force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us. It penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. And of course, we were all fascinated by the force back then as kids, and we found it like a tantalizing possibility. And I'm going to let you into a little secret here. One day, uh, when all the rest of... You know where I'm going with this, don't you? One day, uh, when all the rest of my family were downstairs and out of the way... I got a matchbox car, a little toy car, put it on my windowsill, and I held out my hand. And I just went, mm, and I concentrated really hard, and I hoped that the matchbox car would move towards me suddenly. And it didn't. And I was a little bit disappointed. And I found that the force, albeit incredibly appealing and a great idea, kind of wasn't factually true. It really wasn't. And so uh, that was something from my journey and uh, my past. Now, as I kind of went through life, other than like a figment of my imagination or as presented in films, I never really had a sense of there being something other, something out there, uh, something that could be potentially beyond me that my, or beyond my world that could have an influence upon me. Now, I'd heard about Jesus, and I thought that he was kind of wise and kind, and he said good things, but I just thought he was an influential person, like everybody else might be influential because of the things they've done or said. Uh, so I, I kind of didn't really attribute much status to him, and I kind of believed in God. Uh, my mum used to pray the Lord's Prayer with me just before I went to bed. Uh, you know, we're talking kind of age three, four, five, that kind of thing. And I'm pretty sure it sowed some seeds for my later faith that then came along. But at that time, I had no concept really of who God might be. Uh, I understood the rhythm of the words as she spoke them over me. That was my cue to go to sleep. You know, I kind of, there was a familiarity there. But I didn't really think God was somebody that I could have a personal relationship. And then I'd never really heard about the Holy Spirit at all. If you'd have said to me back then, there is a person of God called the Holy Spirit, I would have like been very bemused by that. So I'd heard of God, I'd heard of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, who was he? So this was all very strange, and so that was kind of how things kind of really stayed with me up until my early 30s. And then when I started going to church in my early 30s, I, I suddenly started to notice something. I suddenly started to feel 
there was something out there. There was some kind of a presence. There was some kind of a, a being or possibly a force, although I didn't think it was the force in Star Wars because I'd tried that and it hadn't worked. Uh, there was something there. I started going along to church and I started to feel a presence as I stepped through the door. And it was quite a, a strong presence. Um, and, and it impacted me. And I, and I couldn't make sense of it because what it wanted to do with me, well, it, somehow it, it kind of touched me in a way that kind of hit me in my emotions. That I'll be really honest, I'd walk over the, the threshold of church and I would be wanting to weep. And I found that very confusing because I kind of, my reference points were the, were the force in Star Wars and like they didn't make, the, the force didn't make characters in Star Wars cry. And yet here I was, you know, I wanted superpowers as a kid from the force and I didn't get them. And yet I'm coming to church as an adult and I'm feeling this presence or this something or other and it really wanted to make me cry as a grown man. And so I found that a little bit puzzling and a bit strange. Then one day something happened to me. And this thing that happened to me made it completely apparent that God, even though you couldn't see him, was as present as the electricity in a, in a, in a plug socket. There was no getting around the fact that he was real. And the way that this transpired was that there was somebody at this church who prayed for me on one particular occasion, and they used words where I suddenly realized that God had told them something about my life. And God hadn't consulted me, and he'd kind of taken a piece of my experience, and clearly he'd been watching that experience and, and putting it into his mindset up in heaven or wherever he is, and he then started to communicate that using words and speaking through the person who was praying for me in a way that, well, to be honest, it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end because I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, you are real. You, God, you are up in your heaven and you've seen the thing that I've gone through or the, or the stuff that I've experienced. You've taken that, you've ported that across and you've put it through the words of another person who didn't have that experience and didn't know me and you've caused them to say something and now I'm suddenly joining up a circuit here. That's not a circuit that I created or, or had any hand in doing. And it's not the force. It's God. God was real suddenly to me that day. And I, to be honest, I was a bit freaked out. How, how on earth did you know to pray those words was my initial reaction. And in fact, I think I was with Chloe at the time. And I was like, and she was like that with me. And, and it was, it was a, a phrase that was very meaningful to us both. And from that point, I knew deep in my spirit, everything was going to change. Everything was going to change. And not long after that, I prayed a prayer and I decided to commit my life to Jesus because I was fascinated by the possibility of a person who could speak into my life with knowledge of who I was. And therefore, that was something to pursue and try and uncover and try and understand more about because I was fascinated. I was hooked. I wanted to know more uh, about this person of God and this person of Jesus. So let me just link this in with where our series is at right now. We are in the middle of a series on Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Ephesians 2, 22. And the series is called E222 because that's the Bible and verse reference. Uh, and that passage says, in, that verse says, in him you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. And over these last few weeks, we've unpacked that phrase by phrase. The first week we looked at in him, we talked about in Christ. And then we talked about you also and how all of us belong. And then we talked about our being built together. And we, we heard about the story of the paralytic being healed by Jesus off the mat, didn't we? 
And so now we're looking in kind of part four, we're looking at the end section of that, or beginning to come to the end. I mean, next week when we do baptisms, we're going to be looking at by the Spirit and what that means. But this week, we are looking at the fourth logical part of this verse, which says, into a place for God to live. What does that mean? Like if if you and I were going to kind of sit down and chat and go, well, let's solve the problem of where God lives, where would we start? How would we answer the question, where does God live? Where would we look if we wanted to find God in a consistent way, rather than just haphazard or randomly or by chance? How could we find where God is? That's a big question. And that's the question I'm going to try and tackle today as Paul writes that phrase, being built together into a place for God to live. I'm fascinated by what that might mean. I'm interested by the idea that God's presence might possibly be able to overlap with ours. In the same way that he spoke to me that day and I suddenly got convinced that there was a reality of God because he used words that was no way a person could have made up. I suddenly realized God's presence could overlap with mine. And that meant that he was drawing near to me. And then the implications from that are, could he live alongside me or could I live alongside him? And what would that be like? How would that make a difference in my life? What responses might I have if I had the idea that God could actually be a person who comes and lives with me? You know, we've all had, I don't know if you've had, ever had this where you've had a shared tenancy with other people in the house and, you know, different characters have come and gone in that, in that house and some of them have been good and some of them have been not so good. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I have. What would it be like if God himself came and took up a tenancy with us, ongoing, and he lived with us? What would that be like? And I'm going to try and unpack that a little bit. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Uh, and you'll see, if, uh, if you're following this on YouTube, you can see the link to our YouVersion event. We use the YouVersion Bible app here in the church a lot, and every Sunday we put a link in our YouTube uh, promotion, if you like, or the way, when, we sh- when we show this on YouTube, and also for you guys watching online around the city, there's a link there that you can click and it will open you straight to the event. And the event has the verses and the key thoughts uh, and the passages that we want for you to, uh, to see along with the message. So open that up. Uh, You can also, of course, use an old-fashioned paper Bible. That's absolutely cool. Uh, Please do that too. That is never, ever going to go out of fashion. Um, Turn with me to Acts 10.34. We are going to take a look at a time which shows exactly how God comes to live in people. Now, in the Old Testament, this is what used to happen. People used to go and, if they wanted to connect with God, they would go to the temple. Uh, They would visit the priest. The priest would offer sacrifices for them. They they would kind of make a journey and be connected to the temple, Uh, you know, whether that's the tent of meeting out in the wilderness when they were moving around or the temple in, in Jerusalem. They would make a journey and they would find God that way. In the New Testament, that changes around. And what happens is that God starts to come and find us. And he starts to seek us out. And when he finds us and we accept him, we become many temples of his presence. There's a, there's a change there. So in the Old Testament, it was a journey to the, to, to the temple, like a building or a place. In the New Testament, what happens is God comes on a journey to us, and he meets us where we're at. And if we receive him, we then become many temples of God living inside us. That's how this works, and this, that's how this unfolds. Um, 
This is all made possible for us. That process is made possible for us. And the reason it changes from Old Testament to New Testament is because Jesus dies on the cross for us. And when he dies on the cross and raises again and forgives us of our sins through that process, we then become accessible to God, provided we receive Jesus. So if we receive Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, God then says, hold on a minute, here's a person that I can go and live with. And in fact, I can go and live inside of uh, and be, be in, in, in habitation with that person. And that's how this works. So uh, we're going to have a quick look at how this actually happens from this story in Acts 10. Let's pick it up from verse 34. Uh, what's happening is that the disciple Peter has been sent along to the household of a Roman centurion called Cornelius. Um, and he gets the chance to tell this household about Jesus. Picking it up from verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. And here is the most important verse in this passage. All the prophets prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on Hall who who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So that key statement is from Acts there. It's everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name. What it basically says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he comes and takes up residence on the inside of you and he forgives you all of your wrongdoing. And it's nothing we have to do to earn that. He just wants to come and do that for us. It's something that, it's it's a, a thing that is hinged on our belief. If we accept that offer from Jesus, we accept who he is, then he forgives us and he becomes Lord of us and he comes to live on the inside of us. And so where it says in Ephesians 2.22 how we are being built together into a place for God to live, the actual process works in kind of four steps. Uh, follow these steps through uh, with me. So someone tells us the good news about Jesus. Someone says, hey, if you believe in Jesus, amazing though it might sound, 
He is a person who has the authority and the capacity and the track record to forgive your sins, and he will give you peace. And so we hear that news. That's step number one, somebody preaching it to us. Um, uh, Step number two is we can sit there and decide whether we think that is true or not. We have freedom to make a choice about that. That's the second step. The third step is if we decide it's true, and I just want to let you know it is true, God accepts us into his family. That's the third step. And then fourthly, we receive God's spirit on the inside of us. And in fact, elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, from which E22 comes from, it says that the Holy Spirit acts like a seal upon us. We are sealed so that God can come and get us at the end of our lives and that he knows that we are his. We're sealed like a wax seal is over a letter. Uh, when, when people used to do that, you used to have a mark on there, you could receive a letter and you knew it hadn't been tampered with, that the contents inside were intact. God is doing exactly the same thing with us the moment we say yes to Jesus. That seal is put upon us. What I want to say is something quite miraculous happens when we decide we're going to follow Jesus. Really, it is pretty miraculous. Uh, uh, Theologians call it regeneration. Now, we talk about regeneration of a town center sometimes, don't we? We put new life in there and new buildings. Theologically, regeneration is being born again. It's uh, a process that happens the split second you fully decide to receive Jesus into your heart. Um, And what happens is the Holy Spirit ports the, the person of God into you. You become a mini temple of the presence of God. And you walk around with that on the inside of you all the time. Now, some days we don't feel like it, do we? Uh, But we actually have it. Theologically, that is the truth of the situation. We become little mini mobile temples of the Holy Spirit in which God has decided and chosen to live. I wanted to uh, just let you know something. I, I don't know if you know about the construction of the tent of meeting in the Old Testament, but there's a very strong parallel between how that is crafted and made and how we are today as little mini temples of the presence of God, as the, as the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us. Just think about the similarities between the tent of meeting and us as people. Mobile, flimsy, exquisitely and beautifully made, surrounded by skin or covered by skin, inhabited by God. That's the truth. That's the tent of meeting and us today with the presence of God on the inside. Very strong parallels there. And so after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people, uh, which you can read about in Acts chapter 2, little startup communities uh, made up of many temples, lots and lots of them, that's people who follow Jesus, kind of spring up all around the ancient world um, as the good news of Jesus is shared with those communities and those families, like Peter has done with the family of Cornelius and all of his household. That, that is what goes on. And what we see today, right now, uh, 21st of November, 2021, in BCC, in Birmingham, in the UK, is a continuation of those communities continuing through all that time where different people have preached the good news to different families and different communities, and it has regenerated over and over again countless times all around the world. And BCC is a direct outworking and has a direct link back to that. That's by definition the church and how it has grown and uh, kind of gone across all the centuries. God sees anyone who decides to follow Jesus as a place to live. 
He comes and he makes his presence in you and he turns you into a temple. And then you walk around as a mini temple to the Lord. Theologically, that's absolutely 100% true. You might not always feel like that, but that's the truth. And you know what we have to do sometimes is we have to realign ourselves with the truth, don't we? We have to line up with what's really true and not get sucked into other stuff that tries to take that away. So I'm going to suggest three responses to that truth, really important responses, and they all end in the word up. It's clean up, look up, and raise up. Clean up, look up, and rise up, actually. Rise up is probably better, although I'm kind of, you'll see why I said raise up in a bit. Clean up, look up, and rise up, okay? So I had a, a kind of crazy experience not long ago uh, in my road. Um, now, I, I don't know what day you, you normally think the bins come, you know, the bin men come on your, on your street, but it's probably a set day a week, isn't it? And uh, we have a set day a week, and it's a Monday. And what they do uh, is they come along and they get the bins, and uh, so every, every Monday the bins with the rubbish come, you know, they come and do that. But then every other Monday we add the recycling bin as well, and all the pavements get a bit crowded, and at 7 o'clock in the morning... The, the bin guys come along and they do their stuff. And it's kind of regular as clockwork, other than when we had the strike. Uh, and then it wasn't great, but we won't go there for now. Okay? So, uh, 7 o'clock, Monday morning, bins. Okay? That, that's what happens. And um, so, I, was, I have my kind of weekend. I try and have a weekend like Friday to Saturday. And uh, we had this kind of strange thing happen. It was a Friday. And I heard what I thought was the bin uh, lorry coming down the street. And I was a bit freaked out. I was like, it's not Monday. What's going on? Looking at the date on my watch, checking the day. No, it's a Friday. So I'm hearing the noise of the bin lorry. Now, they have a distinctive noise, don't they? There's kind of like a revving of the engine, isn't there? And then it pauses. And then there's a knocking of all the bins as they gather the bins together. And then there's that kind of kind of hydraulic noise, isn't there, at the back, when they lift the bins up. And then there's a kind of the tumbling of all your rubbish into the back of the bin lorry. And it's kind of repeated all the way down the street at a very early hour quite often. Um, but you know that noise, don't you? And I could hear this noise going on, but it was a Friday, not a Monday. And I'm thinking, it's not bin day. What is going on? I'm such a nosy neighbor. I need to get out there and have a look. So I race out my front door, fling open the front door, and I'm looking on the street. And yeah, the bin lorry is coming down the street. Now, this is unusual for a Friday, but not only is it unusual for that, there's a whole team of people walking along the street, kind of doing a whole load of jobs. There's people sweeping the street. There's a guy kind of scraping up some gum off the pavement. There's even a guy with a blowtorch who's trying to deal with some paint that someone spilled. And then there's a whole bunch of guys behind that getting rid of things like fridges and mattresses. And it's a whole great big drama and a great big wave of cleaner uppers all coming down the street towards me. And I'm a bit amazed, to be honest. But even there, the surprises didn't stop because they were all mega cheerful. They were like really happy, big smiles. A couple of them were even whistling while they swept. I mean, it was like Mary Poppins. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is going on? You know, I mean, my, our guys that come on a se at seven o'clock on a Monday, I mean, they're, they're great fellas, but we're not getting that. You know, it's just kind of, yeah, bins, off we go. So I'm like, what is this? So I said to a, one of the guys, I said, uh, like, what, what is going on? You know, what, what on earth is happening here? And he gives me a big smile and he says, all right, boss, how are we doing? Uh, we are actually doing a clean-up because the mayor's coming through here later. And I'm like, the mayor? 
Like, why are you cleaning my street for the mayor? How about you clean the street for me? I would love that. But that's not how it works. And actually, I was pretty chuffed that they cleaned the street because our street looked the best it had done the entire time I've lived there. It looked pristine for a few days. It was a real pleasure. Here's the purpose of that story. When God comes into your life, you need to do a cleanup. You absolutely need to do a cleanup. And in fact, one of the signs that God is close to you is you are prompted to do that by his spirit. You know that time when Peter first meets Jesus in Luke 5 and they're fishing and there's lo- they've been fishing all night and there's nothing and then the, this character appears on the, on the side of the shore and says, oh, go and fish over there. And they're like, yeah, right. You, you're not even a fisherman and you're telling us where to go. And then they, there's something about him so they go and do it and they find loads of fish and suddenly Peter realizes he's in the presence of something holy. And he goes, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That's what I'm talking about. So when, when, when God draws near, when God wants to come and live on the inside of us, a response is a cleanup. It's a personal cleanup. And we have to kind of really treat that in a holy way. That's an important thing that is happening on the inside of us. And God will prompt you in the things that you need to address. And God does it preemptively. You know, God draws near to us preemptively. We're never ready for God. Um, you know, it's like some people say to me, oh, I couldn't ever come to church. I don't feel clean enough. No, come to church to get clean. That's the whole point. You wouldn't be playing outside in the garden and, and kind of say, oh, mum, I can't have a bath because I'm too dirty. No, the bath is what makes you clean. Church is what helps you stay clean before God. If you need to be prompted about the thing to start on, here's a little clue. It's the thing that you probably wouldn't want to bring to church. It's the thing that you don't want presented on a Sunday. It's the thing that you've maybe got a little compartmentalized off over here. Maybe that's the thing that God's saying, now come on, clean this up. That's not a holy thing that you've permitted in your life. That's an old mattress that you've got in the back of your house that kind of just needs to go if we can extend the, the analogy of getting rid of rubbish. Number one is clean up. When God moves into your house, the house of you, and he comes to live on the inside of you, it prompts a clean up. And the next thing I want to say is look up. Look up. So clean up, number one. Number two, look up. Have you ever seen those articles in the paper that say, hey, this is the 10 best places to live in the UK? Or they say, this is the 10 best places to go on holiday around the world. And you kind of quickly scan the list and you go, oh, I haven't lived in any of those. And and I haven't been to any of those destinations. And you feel like you're a bit like a second class citizen. Maybe that's just me. But like... You, you look through the list and you're kind of presented with this idea of what a good experience might be. I want to say to you that God wants you to have a good experience of yourself by helping you manage your thought life. You live in the landscape of your mental space, don't you, as a person? And sometimes, we, we all do this, sometimes we permit things in that mental space that shouldn't be there. And God wants us to lift our gaze and to look up to him. Not to look down, not to look to the side, not to look at the, 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 the poorer things of this world, but to look up to his standards and to his, to his things that he wants us to see. Because God, let me tell you, God has no problem with his own holiness. There's no issue there. So this isn't for him that he asks to do this. This is for us that he's asking to do this so that we have a decent time, uh, so that we are in our own top 10 of mental landscapes all the time. Are you following me? 
And so there's a great verse. In fact, we shared this with some of our married couples just on Friday night. It's from uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 8, and it goes like this. In fact, uh, let me teach you a little way to remember it. T-N-R-P-L-A-E-P. T-N-R-P-L-A-E-P. So T-N-R-P stands for true, noble, right, pure. L-A-E-P stands for, oh, now I've panicked and forgotten it. There we go. Lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And I kind of remember that as like turnip leap. It's not quite turnip and it's not quite leap. T-N-R-P-L-A-E-P. True, noble, right, pure. Lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Thank you, Phil. Let me read you the verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, God's saying, when I come to live on the inside of you, Nick, I want you to be kind of fashioning your mindset to be lifting up to those things. Lift up your gaze. Lift up your gaze to better things. You may have kind of occupied your gaze with other things in the past, but I'm coming along and I want you to lift your gaze. So number one is clean up. Number two is look up. And number three is rise up. And I'm going to just ask the worship team if they'd like to return and you guys can just come and start playing. That's fine. Rise up. You know, when God comes to live on the inside of you, it's not all kind of moral obligations on our part. Yes, there's some things we might be prompted to clean up. Yes, there's some things we need to lift our gaze in. But he brings an amazing, well, he brings a lot of amazing things to the equation. But one of the things he brings to the equation is something called resurrection power. He brings power to you. He brings power into your life. He brings great stuff to the equation. And when you allow God to live in the house of you, he is a great, great tenant alongside you because he encourages you and inspires you because of the resurrection power that is on the inside of him. It's an irresistible force. Earlier in Ephesians, it talks about incomparably great power for us who believe. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. God brings that on the inside of us, and he puts it there, and he gives us strength and energy and hope and persistence and endurance and security and significance and permission and authority. All these great things come through because of his resurrection power that's on the inside of us, giving us strength in really, really difficult places and in difficult times in our lives. God brings a fabulous content to the deal, and it's called resurrection power. And you have it on the inside of you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. Really key that you understand that, BCC. Maybe you've lost sight of the resurrection power of Jesus in your life, but I'm here to tell you this morning that it is there, and it is alive and kicking, and it will do you a load of good. Amen? Is there anybody here, anybody here with the name Anastasia? I'm pretty sure we have somebody. Anastasia, I'm so sorry to call you out. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Anastasia goes to our young adults ministry. And the reason I picked you out, Anastasia, I'm not going to get you to do anything strange or call you up. Please don't panic. Um, The reason I've, I've identified you is because Anastasia is a name that derives from a Greek word meaning resurrection. It comes from the Greek verb anistemi from which you can get Anastasia, you can understand that. And it means raise up. It means be, be raised, be lifted, be, uh, be lifted up. And what happens is when we look in, in, particularly in Luke and Acts, Luke is trying to tell us a great and important message about being raised up. 
In fact, I'm such a nerd, I went through uh, Luke and Acts and I counted up every single time that the verb anestemi appears. And it's 75 times. Luke is burning to tell us that a message of who Jesus is, is that he is a raising up kind of God. He will raise you up. You know, John's, John's big thing that he does in, in John's gospel is he's talking about mission. He's talking about people being sent. And he uses the word sent 55 times. But Luke beats him to it. It's a 75-time deal. Raised up, appears in all sorts of places in Luke's gospel. Because he's trying to get the message across to us that we are a raised up kind of people if we permit Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to, become and, to come and live with us and make their home with us. Did you know that uh, the, the word raised up appears in all sorts of strange places in Luke and Acts and you, in a places that you wouldn't even dream of? Last week we looked at the healing of the paralytic and when, God's, uh, when, sorry, when Jesus says, get up from your mat, in, in, in Mark 2 we looked at it, but Luke has it in his account as well. What's the word? It's anastemi, arise, stand up, be raised. It's the same word that's used for the resurrection itself. Be raised. In the parable of the prodigal son, the son is off in the far-off land and he's spent all of the father's inheritance and he's got nothing left. He's right down on his luck. There's a famine that's come along. There's no food left. And then there's, there comes a point in Luke 15:8 where it says, he came to his senses and he said to himself, I will arise. Anastemi, again, Luke is saying that deep, kind of hard-baked into the Christian faith is a resurrection power. And it kind of a, a, an irresistible force that's on the inside of you. Never mind a force that binds the galaxy together. This will raise you from the dead. And it's on the inside of you. It's your faith living on the inside of you every single day. You have it deep in your DNA, your spiritual DNA. Jesus gives it to you when you f- start to follow him. And then when the f- prodigal son realizes that, that that's what he's got, and he, kind of, he makes that decision, Luke then says, I think it's in uh, Luke f- uh, 15, 20 or 15, 18, he says, he then arose and went. Anastamy again, he, he was raised up and decided to go. BCC, would you stand with me this morning? Would you raise yourselves up? <laughs> Be raised up, BCC. We're going to worship in just a minute. But we have an awesome God who wants to come and live on the inside of us. And when he does, there's a cleanup prompted. There's a, re- there's a lifting of our eyes, a looking up res- uh, prompted. And there's a raising up that God brings with him as part of the deal. And he puts it on the inside of you and he gives you grit and a determination and a hope and a perseverance that you never knew you had. Because he is a raising up God. And in some ways that's not at all surprising because we follow a person who got raised from the dead himself on Easter Sunday. And so it stands to reason we have some of that on the inside of us. BCC, it's time to sing. And then we'll come back and do some responding. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, team. Thanks, team.